0: Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams.
1: And I'm Kirk McElhern.
0: Hello, how are you doing today? Thank you very much for carving out about a half an hour of time to give us a listen this week. Also, if you have the chance or the wherewithal, give us a rating or a review at Apple Podcasts or Overcast. Also has a dandy little favorites feature. You just tap the little star. Or however your podcast app allows you to rate your favorite podcast. This is episode number one hundred and twenty-five of the next track, and because we're not good at math after like the number one hundred, <laughs> we we forgot to celebrate our second anniversary, which would have been a hundred and four. That was oh, gee, that was over there. Are you
1: sure we didn't talk about it? We I might
0: have. I don't know. It's not important. I mean, the first ten, the first fifty, the first year—that was exciting. But It's all arbitrary anyway. So we didn't do anything special for our second anniversary, which we kind of felt we wanted
1: to. Well, we only thought we wanted to after we realized that we didn't. <laughs> You're
0: right. And another thing that's happened is several people have emailed us and, and are curious about how we do the podcast. Now, I don't know exactly what they mean, but they suggest that. I really love the podcast. It would be fun to hear about how you guys make the podcast.
1: So consider this episode a bonus track that goes along with the Deluxe Editions episode that we had last week. So we're going to talk about how we make the podcast.
0: Right. We're not going to talk about what we normally talk about. We're going to just talk about how we do this. And I'm sure everybody has a basic idea that we're just sitting in front of a couple of microphones and talking to each other and we record it and bang, zoom, it's done. And if you're a podcast listener, you know, that's a little more involved than that. Well,
1: you just said that we're not going to talk about what we usually talk about, but we usually talk about audio. So what we're going to talk about is recording audio. And we've talked about audio books, we've talked about live music and recorded music. So in a way, we are recording. We have our own home studios, in air quotes. So yes, I I think a lot of people think that just to record a podcast, you just stick a microphone on your desk and talk into it, and then somehow magically it gets assembled into a podcast.
0: Although that is one way of doing a podcast, is just recording a conversation and then putting it out there. People do do that. And a lot of people do that.
1: But we have higher standards
0: than that. And more time.
1: And and we also have skills. We have Doug. Doug is our editor, producer, our muse. So here's something that we tell all of our guests that we I don't think we ever mentioned on the podcast. This podcast is heavily edited. So when we have a guest on, we tell them basically, if you stumble, if you say something and you want to start over, just pause and start over. And then Doug just snips all that out And what we hear at the end, it sounds like our guests are the most intelligent people in the world, which they are. It sounds like Doug and I are the most intelligent people in the world, at least in our ability to speak fluently and not stumble over things. It's because sometimes in a podcast, we'll have to repeat certain sentences three times. More me than Doug, because he has radio
0: experience. Another secret is that because I do the editing, and this is a big secret that we're revealing here, some of the time... We'll be talking, and I will just go back and re-edit, re-record what I said. I'll just go back and say something completely different. Kirk won't even know. Now, it's difficult to do that because I can't, I don't think it's fair to say something without Kirk being able to hear it and react to it. So generally what happens is I just re-record some some things that I think were sloppy or or whatever, or to reduce what I've said uh in order to fit the time. We We try to hit a half an hour every week. And I can't really go back to Kirk and say, "Do you want to re record this I mean he's not he hasn't got his head in the podcast anymore once we've recorded it, but since I'm sitting in the middle of it for an hour or two a week, it's easier for me just to shorten things up and and restate what I've said to make things shorter that's so or make them longer sometimes.
1: There was also an episode not long ago where you forgot to record yourself, but we had the Skype recording, so what you did is you listened to what you said on Skype and you said more or less the same things into your microphone to put them into the episode.
0: Which is hard to do. Um, I mean, well, it's not hard to do for me, but it's hard to try to sound like you're, you know, hearing something for the first time, reacting to it off the cuff or arbitrarily or, uh, you know, in an ad-libbed way. It's very difficult to do that. But in radio, you learn to do that. That's just something that you you, you learn what your personality is and you can just put your personality into any sentence. It's pretty... You know, it's, it's, it's good skill to have.
1: Well, I think there's a musical technique involved there. I know that for some of our other podcasts, we'll mention the other podcasts we work on later. For some of the other podcasts where I'm recording a, an intro to a sponsor, an ad read or something like that, you play back what I've said just before that. So I can pick up on the tone and the melody and the frequency that I've been using to speak. And, and in that way, if you're familiar enough with the way you speak and you hear yourself on recordings all the time and, boy, my voice sounds weird when I hear myself on recordings, but at least that way you get the same frequency and it's not that hard to make it sound like like there's some continuity.
0: I think we've talked about that before where where I refer to it as singing because you are actually hitting a pitch. I mean, you may be speaking in, you know, your voice rises and lowers in in, in microtones, but it's you could still... Uh, you know, pick up on it. I mean, there's a way of bringing it down just a little bit, and then you can bring it back up again a little bit here, but it depends on what your excitement level is what your what your lethargic level is um and how much it, caffeine you've had yep, all of those things, so there are a lot of factors, but yeah, matching things up is is it is is a good trick if you can do it
1: yes, so caffeine is important before every episode. Doug makes coffee, he's a coffee drinker he's drinking right now from his mug. <laughs> I make tea. I'm a tea snob. I currently have a nice cup of Japanese Sencha. My tea choices depend on my mood of the day. This is my second one since we started discussing what we were going to record this episode. Because before we start an episode, there can be a fairly long conversation. It's usually 10 or 15 minutes before we get into the groove. And some of it is like, I don't know. Doug was telling me about his pots and pans and his good kitchen equipment. And we were talking about that. And sometimes we'll talk about music or, or, or the latest Mac or iPhone or whatever it is. But there is that sort of introductory session, which I find gets us in the mood. This kind of podcasting foreplay.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's, a, you know, that's a good way of putting it. It is, it is podcasting foreplay. It gets our brains into the Kirk and Doug gear. It's like sketching. We just, you know, what's going on in your life right now? Well, I noticed this, I noticed that, and then we'll find a, a a unifying topic that we can we can talk about. Sometimes just by accident. I mean, we do plan things out ahead of time, days or weeks ahead of time.
1: We plan most of our episodes. All of our guests, obviously, are planned in advance, and most of our topics are planned in advance. But sometimes we come up. Hold on, I just had to turn because the the mailman is just coming. So. Here, here's something that happens almost every time. It's either the mailman or the Amazon delivery guy who comes while we're recording. And we often have to pause so I can answer the door.
0: It's it's sort of become a running joke uh, amongst uh, not only us, but um, the people that we do other podcasts with. It's, you know, we have to pause. It's guaranteed there's going to be a, a, a spot where while we're recording, the delivery man comes. And Kirk's got to stop the recording and we all got to take not a break. It's every-
1: episode we record but it's often enough and this is the time that the mailman comes my office is on the ground floor of my house and it looks out on the road in the front so i see him out of the corner of my eyes and i look to see if he's got a package that means he's going to knock on the door in which case i say hold on mailman and i go get it and then i come back
0: but the the remarkable thing is is it's you have so much stuff being delivered to your house That's the thing, you know. If you've if you've ever heard Kirk talk on other podcasts and talks about how he sells things and buys things, I mean, it's true. There's stuff coming into and out of his house. He might as well be an Amazon warehouse adjunct. It's just there's just so much stuff coming, and it's it's. I wish I had that many deliveries going to my house. I I miss the UPS thump on the porch. I just don't I don't get that anymore.
1: Oh, they don't thump here. They always knock or ring the doorbell. Oh, that's nice. But you you have to remember, I live outside a small town of about 20,000 people, so we don't have a lot of options. I mean, we don't have any proper department stores. Parking in the town is horrific, so why would I spend an hour driving into town trying to find a place to park to buy a USB cable when I can just three clicks on the computer and it's here tomorrow? Because remember, Amazon Prime delivery over here is, is next day, not two days like in the States. So it's very practical like that. And that's how I get my tea. As I said, I'm a tea snob and I get, you know, tea regularly. Books, we don't have an independent bookstore. Anyway, we're we're drifting from the topic. Let's talk about equipment because that's really important that makes a good podcast sound good. As I said, you can just plunk a microphone on your desk in front of you. And a lot of people use the Blue Yeti, which is a, a good microphone. But the problem with that for me is it's too low and it's too far away. And when you use a microphone like that, you get room noise. Room noise is the echo, the fact that you're talking into the microphone, and there's an echo coming a few milliseconds later from the different areas, and that creates that sort of echoey sound that you get in a microphone. We're both using studio-quality microphones, which are, I don't know, mine's about six inches from my mouth. Yours is a little bit further. Fortunately, when we got started in this, Doug helped me set up my equipment to be almost as good as his. Now, Doug has a a proper recording studio. He's even got a shroud next to his desk there that he can put over his head, and that blocks out the reverb behind him. This isn't just a microphone connected to a computer. Doug's setup is a little bit complicated, so much so that he can't even tell me what goes into what, because he he managed to figure it out once, and and you just don't touch anything.
0: Well, the last thing you want to be doing is, is, during a critical recording, is monkeying with your equipment. So, you know, you spend an inordinate amount of time to set it up.
1: It's dangerous to change
0: anything. Yeah, it's exactly. So you just set it up once and leave it.
1: (laughs) So I use a Rode microphone. It's connected to a an arm on my desk that I can move so the microphone is right in front of my mouth. It's plugged into what's called a microphone processor, and this has a bunch of dials that are sort of alchemy, and Doug explained how to get them to sound the best. One of the most important dials is the compression, and that brings down the room noise. So even though my room is a bit echoey... You don't really hear it too much on the podcast. Then that goes into a USB audio interface, which then goes into my iMac. Doug has an additional couple of additional things, but it's basically the same principle. You want to act on the microphone signal. You want to get rid of the high treble and the low bass, because you're not going to hear them in a podcast. You want to get rid of that room noise to make it sound like NPR, which is what we try to sound like. And that way, you have the cleanest possible signal in the highest quality, that we both record with Audio Hijack, which is an app from Rogue Amoeba. I think pretty much every podcaster records with Audio Hijack. There are some other
0: possibilities. Well, on Windows devices, they probably use something
1: else. You think people record podcasts on Windows devices? There must be a way to do it. On the Mac, Audio Hijack is really the essential tool. By the way, if you really want to know how to use Audio Hijack, you could get my book, Take Control of Audio Hijack, which tells you everything you can do with Audio Hijack.
0: Well, that's one of the reasons that we use Audio Hijack, is you wrote the book on Audio Hijack, but it is absolutely a splendid audio recording program. And even if you don't record things all the time, it's definitely worth having if you do anything with audio.
1: Well, the, the main use for a lot of people is recording things off the internet. So concerts that are streamed on the internet, you can record the concerts. I use it for that regularly. Worth pointing out that we spent 20 minutes before this episode sorting out an issue with Audio Hijack, which is actually an issue caused by the new version of Skype. I'm unable to adjust the volume that's coming from Skype, so Doug or whoever else I'm talking to, and I needed to be able to reduce that volume to mix it correctly so I can hear myself at the right volume, because I'm listening to my voice through my headphones, as Doug is, but also hear whoever's on Skype at the same volume. So we had to futz around with Audio Hijack, and I found a new way of recording, which actually is quite practical. All of this is because the new Skype, which, trust me, is horrible, has changed things and doesn't allow me to make that change, doesn't allow me to alter the incoming volume level.
0: It's unfortunate about Skype. I mean, it's a wonderful device when it works. Um, And it really strikes me as odd that there aren't other uh, standalone recorders that can do that. I mean, I know there's a lot of web things you can go on, a lot of websites that have you know like there's like go to meeting and we know some podcasters who use I can't, I don't even know the names of them but they the the website does all the recording for you you pick up the recordings but uh we just like having hands on control so that's why we continue to use Skype and we continue to use Audio Hijack
1: well one of the reasons we use Skype is I I know a lot of people don't do this but we use video when we're doing these podcasts we don't record it but we like to be able to see each other and and it seems to me you lose a certain amount of nonverbal communication. This is Doug and I both studied linguistics. You lose a lot of nonverbal communication cues when you're not seeing someone. And that's why sometimes you'll hear podcasts, the guest or the host or whoever, you hear a bit of dead air because they're waiting for their moment to jump in. So I'm seeing Doug as he's nodding. He's got his arms crossed in front of him there. He's nodding. And I'll know that if he wants to say something, he'll kind of raise his eyebrows a bit and, and his head will go up and he'll be ready. In in extreme cases, we Raise our hands, which means basically at the end of your thought, defer to me.
0: Well, and the other advantage is we're not live, so we can just stop. Because
1: the podcast is edited. We can stop at any time, and our guests can stop at any time. Right. And that's another thing. Sometimes the guests are surprised that we're using the video, but I think they appreciate it because you do get that interaction that's more interesting.
0: It's definitely helped uh, uh, develop a rapport quicker, I think, than if we were just talking to them. For we we have had situations where before we ask them to turn the video on, the conversation is a bit awkward be in the in the pre show discussion. So once the video gets on and they see that we're relatively harmless and, you know, we're just regular fellows, uh it, it usually works out a little bit better in uh in, in interviewing someone. That's another thing too. The um we're we're two people interviewing one person and we try not to make it seem like an interrogation. It's gotta be like an interview. So a lot of times we'll have a guest and there won't be a lot of both of us talking. It's 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 just just to lay off of the of the guests so they don't have to uh feel like they're being inundated like, like a Beatles press conference or something.
1: <laughs> well, it's also that sometimes we have guests who are talking about things you don't really know about. Like anything about the Grateful Dead is not something you're gonna know about. So it's it, it kind of makes sense that I'm gonna talk more not that I want to necessarily talk more, but it's true that one of us is going to know more about a topic than the other person. Yeah.
0: And actually, it's kind of fun because then I can, I can take the, the side of like a casual listener because a lot of the things that you do know more about, I'm still interested in. I mean... We've had, I, I am not a big Grateful Dead fan, but that doesn't mean that I'm not interested in, in their mythology and their, you know, the, their performances and innovations and things like that. Uh, I mean, I find all that stuff fascinating anyway, as, as as I hope our non-dead listeners do, or our alive listeners do.
1: Well, a, a good example is our recent interview with Kyle Gann talking about John Cage's 433 you didn't know a lot about it, but you did some research and, and you were fascinated to learn some of the things like about Muzak, which prompted us to do a whole episode about Muzak and background
0: music. That is going to be our topic for next week's show.
1: In some ways, a topic can be a jumping off point for the future. In some ways, it can be a way of, and sometimes you have really interesting questions when it's things you don't know about because you know a lot about music anyway. So your curiosity can come through.
0: Yeah, I, I enjoy the guests we have on. There hasn't been a single one who I hasn't I have thought wasn't completely fascinating.
1: No, that's true. We've been we've been quite lucky. We found interesting people to talk about interesting things. And in most cases, if someone's written a book, they're interested to talk about it. And and in some cases, the Kyle Gann interview, it was a book he wrote eight years ago. We've had other people most recently Roy Avon about Prague Rock is a brand new book of his. The book about the 1977 Cornell concert, that was a brand new book, and I believe it hadn't even, or it was just about to be published, and, and I got an advanced copy because I bought the 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 set of CDs which contained a copy of the book, but the book itself was published like a month later. So yeah, when someone's got a book to tout, they're very interested in talking about it.
0: And talking to us, because our listeners have a probably a higher than average interest in their subject. Well,
1: exactly. This is part of the promotional tour. Except they don't have to go anyplace. And so that's interesting because we talk to people in 99% of the time, they're at home. They're relaxed. It's not like they're in a hotel suite on a promo tour or they're coming into a recording studio, which, as you know from your experience, that, that sets a sort of a schema of expectations and and imbalances and power struggles, doesn't it?
0: It makes people nervous, yeah. Right.
1: That's a simpler way of saying it.
0: Yeah. Whenever I've been at the radio station and people come in to who are not used to recording and have to record a commercial or whatever it is we're recording for them, they become very uptight. They become very nervous, and I can only imagine it would be similar if we were, you know, if they weren't in a more comfortable situation.
1: So let's talk about how we choose our guests.
0: It's pretty random, actually. Yeah, and and part of it is because booking guests is hard.
1: Well, uh, it's either I read a book or know someone who would be interesting to talk to, or you sometimes, you point out an article, Jeff Edgers, when he wrote his article about the guitar in the Washington Post, you pointed that out, and I got in touch with him.
0: Yeah, Liz Pelley, James Jackson Toth. These are all people we didn't know until we read their articles.
1: Yeah, there'll be links to all these episodes in the show notes if you've missed them. But it's really, we don't plan anything. There have only been a couple of cases where uh, guests have actually approached us, or people representatives of the guests have approached us. It's very rare. In most cases, it's just us. And so here's the secret. If you want to get interesting people on a show, you have to show them that you've already had interesting people. So we've had maybe 40 or 50 guests so far. And the early guests were people that I have interacted with over the years, people I know. Um, Alex Ross, the, the classical music critic from The New Yorker, is someone I've been in touch with off and on over the years by email. And so when I asked him to come on the show, he was delighted. Shortly after that, Will Hermes, critic for the Rolling Stone, NPR, etc., Will and I were teenagers together. We used to go to concerts and hang out. So the trick is that when I send an email to invite someone to be a guest, I put a number of recent guests that we've had on the podcast, and I lead with the names of people they might know. So once we had Alex Ross, that made it easier to get other people involved in classical music. Once we had Will, that made it easier to get other people um, like David Brown, who writes for the Rolling Stone, who wrote a book about the Grateful Dead, and once you get one person from the Washington Post, so the first one was the first one was Dave Weigel writing about prog rock, and then when we invited Jeff Edgers for his article about the electric guitar, near the top of the guest list was Dave Weigel, and he says, "Oh, this guy's in my newspaper. He went to the podcast, so I can go to the podcast." And there, there is a slow accretion of authority as you go on, as you can get more people. And obviously, I filter the guest list that I send to people each time. I'm not going to send Kyle Gann talking about John Cage. I'm not going to send him the names of all the people we've had talking about the Grateful Dead, even though he might be familiar with them, but it's not really but his domain.
0: It wouldn't impress him.
1: Well, it might, but not the same way. I think people, when they see their peers have accepted to be on this podcast, they're more likely to want to be on the podcast.
0: Yeah, I think uh, many of them also would would love to return. There's, I don't think there's ever been a guest that hasn't enjoyed themselves and and has had a, a great conversation with us. It's been great. So we've
1: had some repeat guests. Andy Doe's probably been on more often than anyone. I've known Andy for many years since before I moved to the UK. If you've heard him on the show, he worked at Apple. He was one of the people who set up and ran the classical part of the iTunes music store for a number of years. He worked at Naxos. I think he was chief operations officer, something like that. And he likes to talk about things, and he's in the same time zone as I am, so that makes it relatively easy. Chris Conacher from Computer Audio file, we disagree on a lot of things audiophile-wise, but Chris has always been even-handed, open, and, and, you know, extremely honest about what he thinks about audio.
0: Chris hasn't been on in a while because his site, Computer Audio file, has recently started offering a service whereby you can buy audio gear, you can sell your used gear, buy used gear, and that's taking up a lot of his time, as you can probably imagine. So we haven't had him on in a while, but uh, he's a wonderful guest when he is on. He's He's a great interpreter for us to the audiophile community, and he's just really busy right now, so we hope to get him on soon.
1: And so there are other guests we might invite back in the future, if they have new books, if they have new articles or whatever that we want to talk to. But for the most part, the guest strategy is just find what's interesting. Find what interests us. So Peter Chilvers has been on twice, and he's worked with Brian Eno creating the app Reflection. He worked with Theo Travis, who was also a guest a couple months ago. In fact, they were both originally going to be on the same episode, and then there was a bit of a glitch. So we recorded the interview with Peter later in the day after we recorded the one with Theo, and that was kind of interesting because there was a, an interesting counterpoint between the two episodes.
0: It was almost better that they weren't together because I think in order to get the the content it would have been fun to have them on for an hour for both of them. Um but because they were separate you got interesting perspectives on the uh on the development of the app and the music that was used. It was it was very much more interesting. I thought it was more interesting with them separate
1: but we don't want hour-long episodes we we both think that 30 minutes is a good length for a podcast and that means sometimes we go to 35 or 40 very rarely if it's a really interesting interview we'll go a bit longer but you don't want to listen to two-hour podcasts we certainly don't so 30 minutes seems like a nice a nice chunk of time it gives you enough time to discover a topic get into it a little bit and then move on to something else
0: yeah. Well, play, it gives you more time to listen to other podcasts too. Hopefully. I mean, I like shorter podcasts that get to the point. I don't like long rambling, two guys talking podcasts as much as I used to. Um, I just, you know, get, get your podcast done, get the information out and say what you're going to say and move along. I, I think that's, that's really keys.
1: Well, that's a good opportunity now to pimp the two other podcasts that we do together. You bet. One of them is called Photoactive. It's about photography in the Apple ecosystem. You can find us at photoactive.co. That's photoactive at c o. We couldn't afford the m. And the other one is the Intego Mac podcast, which we do for Intego, the Mac security company. I co-host that with Josh Long and Doug is the producer and editor of that podcast.
0: That's a fun I have to say I'm not a I was not a security oriented person, but doing that show um has really made me sensitive to the number of security issues that are uh, that are out there, and and the, and also it coincides with the fact that the Mac is becoming a uh, a bigger target for malware and exploits, and um, so it's 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 a great podcast. I mean, I'm not just saying that because you know I'm part of it. It's very informative. It's very low key. It's like like. The next track, where they just talk about security issues, it's it's really good. It's a fun one to do. The photoactive one, I'm not again. I'm not a photographer either. I used to be. I used to play a lot with cameras as a teenager, but the photoactive podcast is again a, a show where they take a particular topic, talk about it for a half an hour, or have an interesting guest and talk for a half an hour. And uh, that's got me kind of. I don't think I'm I'm going to become a photographer. On the other hand, it has made me think more about when I do take pictures. <laughs> I'm more conscientious of of what I'm doing rather than just taking a snapshot of cats around the house or dogs around the house. It's I'm become a little more thoughtful. So I, I'm getting there.
1: Okay, well, we're getting near the end of our 30 minutes. It, that means it's going to be time to talk about our next tracks, which is an idea we had from the very beginning of a way of personalizing each episode. And since we talk about music, this gives us a chance to talk about what we're actually listening to. There are some times when we have to search. And of course, Doug Cheats, he doesn't have to come up with the next track when we're recording. He records his bit when he's doing the editing a couple days later. Sometimes I do have to search because I'm not listening to music a lot every week, or sometimes I've just spent a week listening to the Grateful Dead, and I know that you're all tired of hearing me pick Grateful Dead records to listen to.
0: (laughs) You actually haven't picked that many Grateful Dead records, really. You're quite good at, at, uh, what would be the word, restraining yourself.
1: Well, there is so much Grateful Dead content in the podcast, and I know that not everyone is a deadhead, unfortunately. So I try to... But but also, I'm interested in a wide variety of, of types of music, and, and this gives me a chance to share all of that. And sometimes I do have to scratch my head to find something to think, well, I didn't listen to anything next week. What am I going to listen to now if I just want to listen to something? And if you have a large music library, or if you have access to 45 million tracks and a couple of mouse clicks then this is a question that you face quite often is what am i going to listen to next
0: the funny thing is i tried to, in the early on i tried to pick things that were very special uh, to me and then i ran out of those <laughs> and <laughs> i had to start thinking about well what am i listening to casually and why am i listening to it casually so whenever i do a next track i try to tell a little story about how i came across it or not just oh i'm listening to this it's really good but Here's how I stumbled across this. Here's why I'm listening to it. Here's why I think it's interesting. Um, it's, it is, it's, it's a fun thing to do. And it's not just us picking, oh, everybody should listen to this. It's really a little more personal than that.
1: Well, I think it's time we talk about our next tracks.
0: It's good. We'll be doing that in a moment. Oh, and by the way, not that this is a big deal, but the music that we use on the podcast, I made that in GarageBand. It's not the greatest thing I ever made in GarageBand, but it serves its purpose for us. It is now time for us to talk about our next tracks. Kirk, what have you picked for this week? Today,
1: I have been listening to a new release by the Daruti column. Now, I know I've mentioned the Daruti column several times, but they are really, he is really one of the artists that I have appreciated the most over a long period of time. I think I first heard the Darudi column in 79, not long after the first record came out. This new record is the Daruti column. M24J Anthology. Now, my first thought was, let's see, M24J, is that part of the postcode in Manchester where Vinnie Riley lives? Vinnie Riley is is the Daruti column. And I asked my partner, who used to live in the same part of Manchester, Didsbury, she said, no, it doesn't sound familiar. And then I looked, it's an abbreviation of the Movement of 24th January Publishing, which is the name of the publishing company that Vinnie Riley set up with Anthony Wilson back in the day. So it's kind of strange that they would choose that as the title of this CD release. Anyway, it's two CDs of Derudy Column tracks from the earliest Return of the Daruti Column album through a lot of his later stuff. It's about two hours, 20 minutes. It's chock full. It's an interesting selection. I think what actually interests me most about this, because I have all these recordings, is the liner notes. For each track or each set of tracks from an album, there is an explanation of when they were recorded, how they were recorded, what the backstory was, some comments by Vinny. And you learn that the record LC, which is probably his most beautiful record, was essentially him sitting around on the floor with a four-track recorder and a microphone recording for five hours, and then Martin Hannett polishing this to make an album. And there were a couple of tracks that were recorded afterwards. But that a lot of his music just really starts out with him just Noodling until he makes music, so it's called the Darudi Com M Twenty Four J Anthology. It's two CDs. Doug, you're gonna be able to pick something in a couple of days, and so I'll find out about it when I listen to this podcast on Friday morning in order to write the show notes and upload it to our podcast provider.
0: Well, I think I found something that both of us would be interested in because we both have an appreciation for the Clash. There is a new album, a new compilation album out from Joe Strummer. It's called Joe Strummer 001 and it's a compilation of 32 tracks uh of Joe Strummer music. Not necessarily the Clash. It's um songs that he recorded when he was with the band he was with before the Clash and a lot of stuff that he did after the Clash. There is some rare 101ers Recordings. There are recordings that he did for soundtracks. There are some unreleased solo material, unreleased Mescalero's material. Joe Strummer, I think, is sort of like the John Lennon of the Clash. He's sort of is the intellectual of the group, if if punk rock can be said to have intellect. I've always liked the Joe Strummer songs more than I like the Mick Jones songs. And although the Clash wouldn't be the Clash without Mick Jones it uh I think it would have been substantially lacking if Joe Strummer was not part of the band. Joe didn't do too well after he fired Mick Jones and tried to keep the clash limping along in the in the mid eighties and in fact, for about ten years he tried to get back up on the horse when while Mick Jones was having success with Big Audio Dynamite, he was not having much success as a solo artist, although he did appear as a guest on some albums and things like that and did record with other people. It wasn't until he put the Mescaleros together uh about 10 years after the clash broke up that he really started getting some success there is quite a bit of different kinds of music on here but one thing that comes through is you can definitely see that joe has a passion for rockabilly music for of course all kinds of world music folk music american and uh british folk music i haven't heard this whole album all the way through it 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 really is quite demanding, I think, because there's so much variety and versatility on here. There's, Like I said, there's great rock and roll and there's great folk stuff on here. And it's all worth listening to if you want to understand more about Joe Strummer, more about the influence that he's had on on so many musicians. Now, as I said, I haven't listened to everything, but I think what I'm going to do is order the CD because it just really seems to be a, a keeper as far as that goes. Joe Strummer, 001, is my next track. This has been The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.